I'm excited about today. I think God, not I think, I know God is going to meet us exactly where we are. So I want you to have your heart wide open today because we're not going to leave this moment the same. We're going to believe that God is going to change us and transform us. We're actually jumping in. I know it's a new year, but I'm going to continue with the series that we ended last year with. I'm taking it all the way into this year, and that is that family of origins series. Some of y'all may remember we looked at Abraham and we looked at David and today we're going to look at someone different. Here's part three of family of origin. Those of you who like to take notes, you can jot this down. This is the title of today's message and if you were raised in the 80s, you will, you will get this reference. Crisscross will make you jump. Go ahead and put your clothes on backwards right now. Uh, our kids are awesome, love them tremendously. My middle son and I went on a little dad-son hang, okay? So we are doing this dad-son hang, kind of like a daddy-daughter date, and my daughter and I have those, but this is a dad-son hang, and I didn't want to call it a date because we're dudes, right? So I say, all right, we're going on a hang. So me and my 11-year-old, we go on this hang, and it's a Saturday uh, morning, and since it's Saturday morning and it's a dad-son hang, we go to every place dads want to go. We go get some Jesus chicken, right? So we go get Jesus chicken, which if you don't know what that is, that's Chick-fil-A. So we go, we go to Chick-fil-A, we order uh, our meal, we sit down uh, together at the table, we're doing dine-in, and I, I ask my son, Grace, and I, I want to be intentional about, you know, spiritual things and help them understand who God is and try to be not just an example, but also really, really speak to him, you know, like I said, explicitly, intentionally about God and about his relationship with God. So I'm like, son, who's your favorite Bible character? And he says, uh, Dad, it's Gideon. I go, what? I didn't even know you knew about Gideon. So kudos to his mom and kudos to the big team and the middle school team and the youth leaders here at Shoreline City for pouring the word of God into our kids. But he says, Gideon, I'm like, son, Gideon, he's one of my top three Bible characters. I love Gideon. Now, if you don't know who Gideon is today, we are going to unwrap his life. And I think, I think, I believe that all of us are going to be better as a result of understanding more about who Gideon is. For those who are unfamiliar with him, go to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 32. It says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, not president. This is a Bible character. Samson and Jephthah. About David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. These individuals that are listed here, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, each of them come from an Old Testament book called Judges. Judge. Hebrews is the New Testament. Going back to the Old Testament is a book called Judges. Judges is filled with heroes, 
men and women who were faced with impossible obstacles, uh, but they were able by God's grace and God's power to rout foreign armies, to stand up to insurmountable situations and to do something significant that made a difference in their day. Now, when you are reading the Bible, I don't want you to read it or listen to it as if these people are different from you. They're not different from you. They're not made up of something different. They're human beings like me and like you. And sometimes we can read the Bible and think, oh, everybody was so holy and everybody was so perfect. But you, you, if you read it close enough, you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm better than half of y'all. <laughs> but don't judge. Don't judge, right? We're not trying to compare. But for real, though. <laughs> So when you read the Bible, you can hear about these heroes and these amazing men and women of God. And you can think, well, that's not for me. But, but that's not the story the Bible's trying to tell. That's not the picture that the scriptures are trying to paint. Ultimately, obviously, this is about God and who he is. And then God is helping us understand who we are in relationship to him. Uh, there's a guy, you've heard of him, named Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs said something a number of years ago. You probably have them in your pocket, or some of you might be watching through something he made right now sitting on your, your, your MacBook. Uh, Steve Jobs, and I'm going to quote him. Now, as I quote him, understand that I'm not quoting and saying he's the same as Scripture, okay? Scripture, then Steve Jobs, okay? But he said something that I thought was fascinating. He says, life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact. And it's this, that everything around you, everything that you call life, was made up by people that were no smarter than you. You can change it. You can influence it. You can build your own things that other people can use. Steve Jobs here is trying to tear down this myth, this lie, that the people that do big things are somehow different from me and you. They're not different. They have blood flowing through their veins. They've got family drama. They got bills. <laughs> They've got ups and downs. They've got things that they feel they're good at and things that they feel they are terrible at. All of those things are true in life, and all these things are true about the people that we read about in Scripture. They're not made up of something different than you and I. So go with me now to the book of Judges. Go with me to the book of Judges. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to put the words on the screen so you can follow along. Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. It says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves and mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. Now, this book of Judges is a book of cycles. It continues to go over and over and over, the same thing over and over and over again. You see here in Judges chapter 6, verse number 1, again, the children of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So what would happen is the children of Israel, these are God's kids, they would begin to do evil in God's eyes, and then they would get themselves away from the blessing, the provision, the protection of God, and they would find themselves under the hand of the oppressor. 
an oppressor would come in and there would be a certain period of time that this oppressor would be there. We just read in Judges 6, this was seven years. For seven years they're being oppressed and they are just like us. They begin to cry out and say, God, help. Help us. God, matter of fact, if you get us out of this, I promise we'll never go back to this again. So they pray and they pray and then God sends a judge. This judge is a person that stands up and fights on behalf of the people. They fight on behalf of the people. They push the oppressor to the side. And then there is this time of peace. And the children of Israel are enjoying the peace. And then they forget. They forget who brought them out. They forget the goodness of God. They forget how oppressed they used to be. And again, they do evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they end up oppressed. And then a judge has to be raised up, yada, yada, same thing, over and over and over again. Now, the book of Judges, when it talks about these, these judges standing up, this is a type and shadow of Christ. This is a picture of our Savior because you and I were oppressed. You and I were under the oppression of sin and shame and condemnation and the power of the enemy. And Jesus, as our judge, stands up and says, I'll fight on your behalf. And I'm going to bring freedom and redemption to you. So judges is really a picture. It's a wink to let you know there's a Savior coming that's going to change things forever. So not only is it ultimately about Jesus, there are some truths here for us. So now you get into the book of Judges and this interaction that God has with Gideon and he shows up and he says to him, basically, you know, I'm on your side. I got something I want you to do. And Gideon, he's a real one though. He's a real one. Gideon hears all this stuff about how God loves you, God's for you, God's on your side. He hears all that, and he's like, okay, I got some questions here. Verse number 13 of chapter 6, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? We're all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Why has this happened? Where are the miracles and we are abandoned? Why has this happened? Where are the miracles and we are abandoned? I appreciate Gideon stepping up saying, I, I thank you for all the kind things that you're trying to say about me, but I need to know why has this happened? If from 20, in 2020 and in 2021, you didn't have anything happen in your life where you asked this question of God, then God bless you. But most of us, most of us had something happen to us, to a family member, to our job, to our mindset, to our body, shoot, to our finances, to our community. Some, most of us have had something happen. We're like, God, why has this happened? Why am I in the hospital? 
Why the cancer diagnosis? Why do they break up with me? Why do they turn their back on me? Why didn't they call me when they said they were going to be with me? Why didn't they keep on fighting for me? Why did, why do they turn? Why, 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 why? This is a question that not just you ask, but Bible people ask too. Why has this happened? Where are the miracles? You're saying to me that God does miracles. Where are they? Because I'm looking, I'm looking at my life. I don't see no miracles. We have miracles. Sunday, I was believing God for some things, and things are still the same. Where are the miracles? Why has this happened? Where are the miracles? Why has this happened? Where are the miracles? Why has this happened? Where are the miracles? You know when people get a miracle that you're believing for, like a friend gets something that you've been asking God for, and you got to be happy? <laughs> you're like, <laughs> your friend shows up. <laughs> hey, yo, man, man, let me just tell you what happened. You know that promotion? Man, I didn't even put my name in for it. <laughs> but I got it anyway. And you're like, you've been on Indeed.com for like Monster.com, making, going to LinkedIn. You're, you're, you're like trying to hunt people down, sending emails at 3 a.m. And now they got the promotion and now you have to be happy. You're like, good grief. <laughs> it happened this weekend. I didn't know it was going to happen this weekend. It happened. It was this weekend. I, oh my gosh. I know. I know we've been together three months, but it just feels right. It just feels right. It just. <laughs> okay. Congratulations. Congratulations, girl. Listen, I want you to be my maid of honor. I want you to stand by my side, okay? I want you to stand by my side. I, I was praying for this. And you get it? I, I'm not trying to say I'm... But in our heads, we're not trying to say we're better than people, but it's like, I, I've been serving more. I've been more faithful. Like, you're flaky with your walk with God. I've been steady for years. You kind of go in and out, and I don't know where you stand on stuff, but I'm like, this is who I am, and I'm serving Jesus, and you, you get it? Where are all the miracles they told us about? Where are they? I'm abandoned. You left me. You left. I was talking to someone this morning that has felt abandoned by God. We all have these things that happen, you know, tough things that come into our life that it just it, it can rock you. Right? You, you, you know God is like loving and good, but still 
this pain comes into our life and it feels as if he's nowhere to be found. Like he's silent. Some of us online or even in this room right now, some of us, we, we have, we've abandoned church because we felt God abandoned us. Abandoned community, uh, 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 abandoned faith. And it's just th th this, a distance, some, some disconnect. Uh, let, let me do my own thing. Let me, just, let me just be a good person. I'll be nice to people. Maybe I'll even try to help someone out every now and then. But I'm not doing this all-in thing with Jesus because it doesn't feel like Jesus has done all-in for me. I feel abandoned. This is Gideon's response. When the angel shows up and is like, God is with you. I appreciate it. I appreciate him being honest. I appreciate him keeping it a hundred. <laughs> I appreciate him saying, this is what I'm, I'm feeling here. You're saying one thing to me, but let me tell you my reality. Uh, uh, just because he feels it. Uh, doesn't mean uh, that it's true. Just because he feels like God has abandoned him doesn't mean that it's true. So I do, I do have to share this verse of scripture with you. It's found in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. It's, it's where the, the psalmist is writing, goes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Man, if I go up to heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in hell, you're there. As a matter of fact, if I, if I like take the wings of the morning and, and I just go dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, you're there. It doesn't matter where I go. I, I, I can be employed or unemployed. I can be married. I can be single. I can have $27,000 in the bank or have negative $700 in the bank. No matter where I am, you're there. You're with me, God. The psalmist has to write this. And when he's writing these words all these years ago, I just pray that they would fill our souls as well. Because this is the truth. But even with this, even with this, God goes back and says some more stuff to him in verse number 14. He talks to Gideon because Gideon gives these, you know, where are you? Why, where are the miracles? Why have you abandoned us? What's, why has this happened? And, and then he goes on. And, and in verse, uh, verse 15, I want you to see what Gideon says to, to God here. Verse 15. Pardon me, Lord, uh, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. My, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. Okay, so, so uh, he shares this like this is like an ironclad argument. <laughs> Right? He, he shares it like, oh, okay, oh, you're telling me you're for me. You're telling me you can use me. You're telling me you, you want to do something significant with my life. You're telling me I'm going to make a difference. You're telling me that I am going to have an impact in this world. Okay, let me tell you. Time out. Time out, time out, time out, time out. I got to tell you, I got to tell you a couple of things about me. I got to tell you that my clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. So follow this. Families... 
make up make up clans, okay? Clans make up tribes. The tribes, there were 12 tribes in Israel. I went 12, that's 11, but 12. <laughs> Families make up clans, clans make up tribes. There are 12 tribes that make up all of the children of Israel, okay? So we'll go backwards now. We got Israel. You break it down with tribes, you break it down with clans, you break it down with families. Go the other way. Families, two clans, two tribes, two Israel. You see? You see the breakdown here? So Manasseh goes, I mean, uh, Gideon goes, hey, hey, just so you know, out of all of Israel, I'm a part of Manasseh. And then my, with my clan that's a part of Manasseh, my family is the bottom of the bottom and I'm the bottom of the bottom, bottom. Follow me, follow me, uh, cameraman. Okay, go, go to the other one, okay? This is Gideon. He's looking up at everybody. He's got butt cheeks, foot feet. He, everybody is stepping on him. And God comes to him and is like, hey, I'm going to do something. My hand is on your life. He goes, this ain't nobody's hand on my life. I'm at the bottom of my family. My family is the weakest clan in Manasseh. You can't use me. You can't, you, you, you can't, you can't, you can't use me. You, you, you can't, you can't, you're talking to the wrong person. Uh, I, I wrote it down like this. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can jot it down. When God empowered you and he called you, he was already aware of what you incorrectly believe disqualifies you. <laughs> when God empowered you and called you, he was already well aware of what you incorrectly believe disqualifies you. Gideon shared this information as if it was new for God. Like, God was going to go, wait, what? Are you serious? I mean, look at my GPS right here. Some people had, you know, wrong things delivered to your house, and you opened Christmas gifts that didn't even belong to you over this past year because Amazon dropped them off at the wrong door. So he, it's like, well, well you, you, you came to the wrong house. God's like, well, I, I, came, I came to the wrong house? Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this with me. Thank you for sharing with me some stuff I didn't know about you. That's how Gideon talks to God. I'm telling you, friends, God knew all about Gideon before he ever talked to Gideon. And God knows all about you even before he ever talked to you. He knows all about everything you've done and haven't done, everything you've said and haven't said. He knows everything about every shortcoming and weakness before you even did it. And he still said, hey, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Son, daughter, it's time to work with me. It's not saying your sin is not real. It is real. It's just saying that what Jesus did to deal with your sin is more real than what you did to commit the sin. And now God is saying, son, daughter, I know you better than you know you. I, you know, we got some big things we're believing for, you know, as, as, as a church. You know, we got this new building that we're trusting God for and all these millions of dollars to come in. And I'm like, Lord, I'm looking at our church. I'm like, if we had, you know, if, if Elon Musk came here, it'd be easier to believe. 
I'd be like, Elon, hey, what's up, man? You know, we're going to be reaching more people, serving more people. We're going to have this food pantry. We're going to have this foster kids closet. We're going to be able to do all these things to reach people. Elon, let's go ahead. Just write it. But I don't, if, if Elon, if you're here, But I don't know if he's coming. <laughs> so now I'm looking at y'all. Lord, why would you put this in front of us? I, why would you ask us to when you know what we have? Um, he uses... Manasseh as a reason that he cannot be used by God. Okay, uh, go with me. Go with me now to the book of Numbers, okay? Because some of y'all are like, I don't know who Manasseh is. You, you shouldn't. Why, why would you know who Manasseh is? But, but look with me in Numbers chapter 1, verse 34. Look at this about Manasseh. Uh, I've been reading through the book of Numbers. I'm not weird. I just, uh, I'm trying to walk through my Bible. And I'm reading through Numbers and the book of Philippians. Uh, and I, I came across this a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Numbers chapter 1, verse 34. From the descendants of Manasseh, all the men 20 years old or more who were able to serve in the army were listed by name according to the records of their clans and families. The number from the tribe of Manasseh was 32,200. If you read all the way through Numbers chapter 1, all those 12 tribes of Israel I was telling you about, you know who has the least number of people who have the ability to, who are of fighting age? Manasseh. They're the least. But, but Manasseh did not start in Numbers. You're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 48. In Genesis chapter 48, we find out about this awesome moment. There are two sons. One is named Manasseh and one is named Ephraim. Okay? Manasseh and Ephraim. These two guys are the sons of a guy named Joseph. Some of you might be familiar with the Bible. Joseph's the dreamer guy. He's the one who was betrayed by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit, stabbed in the back by his own family, but then God turned it all around, and Joseph became second in charge of all of Egypt. And when he became second in charge of all of Egypt, he ended up with a couple of sons, and he named them Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, Joseph has this beautiful reconciliation moment with his father, Jacob. Now, this is weird. Follow me here, okay? Jacob actually has a couple names. He's got Jacob, and he's got the name Israel. And the Bible goes back and forth between the two. It's like Jay-Z. You know, people call him Hova as well. You know, it's like, same thing, same thing here. You got, you got Jacob, that's the name his parents gave him, but... He also got his gangster name as well, 
Israel. This is the other name that he had. So same person, just street name. So now Joseph brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He brings them to their grandfather, Jacob. Jacob is old. He's about to die. His wife has already passed. He's a, he sits up in the bed. This is all in Genesis chapter 48. He sits up in the bed. He's weak. He's about to pass away. But, but Joseph cannot believe that he's going to have this moment where he gets to bring his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and get a blessing from their grandfather. Now, this kind of rings true to my heart uh, because uh, our, uh, my name is Earl, and then uh, my father's name is Earl, and then my grandfather's name is Earl, and then our oldest son, his name is Parker Earl. I, I didn't want to call him Earl because growing up, I was always like, hey, little Earl or Earl three, and I didn't want to do that to my son. So, so he, he's Parker Earl. But the, one of the things I just, I just wanted so bad is I wanted a picture, and I, sh I should have brought it today. I'm sorry I did not. But I, I, I wanted a picture of the four generations together. I wanted a picture of my grandfather and my dad and me and my son. And Parker was about eight months old, you know, that fat age, you know, where you got the, like the, 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 the thighs and the rolls and everything. He was at that good chunky stage and my grandfather came down from New Jersey and we were all there together and I got this picture sitting in a chair all four generations together. My grandfather has now gone on to heaven was married to my grandma, grandmother for like 60 something years in the same church for 50 something years just love God and love people would sing like old school temptations kind of stuff. I mean just a wonderful wonderful man. I got this picture of all four of us together, this is a moment that Joseph is having. I want to bring my boys. Come here, guys. Come here. Ephraim, Manasseh, come here. Get a blessing from your grandfather. Now, now Manasseh is the oldest. Ephraim is the younger brother. So uh, raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. Right hand. Okay, yep. So that's your right hand. Okay, you're not sure. Obviously, it's opposite because I'm, I'm facing you. But your right hand, you can put it down. Your right hand is the hand of blessing. So what happens is Joseph brings his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he puts them in front of their grandfather. You can read this in, in verses 12 to 14. Put it on the screen for me so people make sure I'm, no, I'm not making this up. They, 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 they put them there. He puts him there in front, and he puts Manasseh in front of Jacob's right hand, and he puts Ephraim in front of Jacob's left hand because the firstborn is supposed to get the right hand blessing. So he brings them to the grandfather, bows them down. They're on their knees. Grandfather, maybe is coughing, clearing his throat as he thinks about this holy moment where he's about to bless his grandsons. He's looking at his son Joseph and didn't know he was ever going to see him again. And now this beautiful moment's about to happen. They bow their heads and Jacob does the unthinkable. Oh, 
He crosses his arms. Thank you, Miss Lolita. <laughs> he crosses his arms. Jo jo Joseph goes, whoa, 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 dad, dad. Dad, what are you doing? No, Manasseh's the oldest. He's the firstborn. He gets your right hand. Why'd you, why'd you cross? Why'd you cross? He grabs his father's hands and says, you, you're doing it wrong. And Jacob says, no, 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 this is the way it's supposed to be. Now, I've heard this preached. I've heard it preached for Ephraim, and it preaches good. <laughs> the blessing now is supposed to be somebody else's. It ain't for them. <laughs> it's for you. <laughs> Can nobody steal your blessing? <laughs> the Lord is on your side. <laughs> if it was for somebody else, it don't matter. God will. And the organ is going. And everybody's crossing their arms. Wigs are falling off. People are running around the church. I got my blessing that was for somebody else, but it's mine. Okay, okay. That's good if you're Ephraim. What if you're Manasseh? You're bowed down before your grandfather, supposed to get the blessing of the firstborn. And it seems like he says, you're not good enough. You can't have this. You can't handle this. This is not for you. He crosses his arms. Ephraim's like, yes. But something seems to happen in the psyche and the soul of Manasseh that does not just stay with him. It makes its way from him all the way through years of bondage and even coming out of Egypt, past Joshua, all the way to the book of Judges, where when God speaks to Gideon about the call that he has on his life, Gideon says, you don't know the family I'm from. We're the ones that did not get the blessing. God's arms. This is reason. You can't use me. This is the reason. You can't call me. This is the reason. I'm the wrong one. It's crazy how moments that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 40 years ago, 400 years ago can stay, it seems, it as if it's in the DNA of a family and make their way all the way to us. 
I can't be married because we all get divorced. I can't lead that. We're all the employee and never the employer. I can't win in that space. Nobody who looks like me, talks like me, walks like me, ever gets that. We only get. Uh, Gideon has like these, these two things. Don't you know my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. I'm the weakest in the Manasseh and I'm the, I'm the least in my family. I'm the weakest, I'm the least. I'm the weakest, I'm the least. These two things he feels like are enough to shut God's mouth. He, he feels like these two things are a pair of aces in a game of Hold'em. He feels like, you, I'm about to cross-examine you, God, and you're not going to have a rebuttal to what I'm about to share. I've got the smoking gun. I've got the video. I've got the picture. You cannot get around what I'm about to tell you, God. I appreciate what you said to me, but I've got something I want to say to you. I've got two things that'll shut your mouth, God. And I wondered, what two things do you have? What are your two things? What are your two things? What are your two, your two things? They, they, they come so quick. They come so quick. Well, oh, God loves you. God's for you. I had an abortion. I'm divorced. Oh, God wants to use your life for his glory. I filed for bankruptcy. I got a foreclosure. Oh, God's, God loves you unconditionally. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm older. I'm younger. Nobody looks like me. Nobody talks like me. You, you fill in the blank with your two things. Person after person after person. And I was just wondering, will we waste another year allowing our two things to keep holding us back when God is trying to call us into a new level? I, I was wondering. If this would be the year that we would allow what God has been saying about us to actually impact our lives so much and we would not allow these two things to be the things that keep us in a prison, but we say, God, I trust you at your word and I'll take the step that you're calling me to take. And I know it seems like uncharted waters, but God, I know I can go where you're calling me to go and do what you're calling me to do because it's not about me. It's about your name and your fame and your glory anyway. So God, do with me whatever you want to do with me. Two things. Two things. Two things. What are your two things? What are your two things? I pray today after you listen to this on podcast or online when you go out to lunch today or you're sitting at home, I pray that you'll wrestle with your two things. I pray that you're writing your journal about your two things. I pray that you would, you would talk about how you're not famous enough or nobody knows you or you can't because you didn't go to school or you can't because you have too much education. I want you to go ahead and just write down the two things that keep being the barrier to, to you doing what God has called you to do. 
do. I'm the weakest. I'm the least. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that the word of God would capture your heart in that moment and you would see yourself the way God sees you. Here is God's response. Here's God's response, okay? God's response. God does not say to Gideon, shut up. You're not the weakest. You're not the least. It's almost like God might be like, yeah. You are the weakest. <laughs> you are the least. Here is God's response in Judges chapter 6, verse number 16. I will be with you. 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 I hear your reasoning. I hear your words. I hear you. I hear your argument. I hear it all. But my answer to that is I will be with you. This is my response. It's not that it's not true. It's just that I'm more true. It's not that that's not an excuse. It's just that me and my presence and who I am trumps your excuse. I didn't read this in the beginning, but in Judges chapter 6, verse number 12, before God begins to talk to Gideon, read it later. He shows up and he says, the Lord is with you. What's the answer to the two things that Gideon has flaunted and thrown at God to disqualify him from what God has called him to do? God's answer is one message. I will be with you. I have seen my kids be afraid of doing a lot of things. They're kids. Even taking off the trash. We got some raccoons. We don't even live in the country. We live in, we live in the city, okay? We're like in the city. And some of these raccoons are getting by our trash cans, and you can see the droppings all over. So now that they found out about the, the, the raccoons, my kids are not going anywhere near the trash can at night at all. They're concerned that a raccoon is going to attack them. That's, that, that's the story now. And I'm a, I got boys. I'm not taking out the trash anymore, okay? I have passed that duty onto my sons. I better not touch a trash for the rest of my life. So here we are, it is time to take out the trash, and if the sun is down and it is dark outside, definitely my middle is like, uh-uh, Dad, ain't doing it. <laughs> Will you come with me? Will you come with me? After reading this, I decided I think I'm going to go with him almost every single time just for this next year so I can reinforce in his heart that you can do anything when you got your father with you because you can do anything when you have your father with you. So anytime he asks me to go, I'm going every single time. Because I've seen him be scared when he's by himself. But I see him stand up taller 
when he walked with his dad by his side. I just need you to know when you're driving to the interview, I need you to know when you're getting ready for the Zoom, I need you to know when you're going to see the doctor, I need you to know when you're dreaming the dreams and writing out the vision, I just need you to know that you're not in that room, in that cubicle, in that apartment, in that house, or in that car by yourself, that God gives this promise that I will be with you, and that's all you need to do what God has called you to do. Let the truth of God's word sink into our hearts. And may we walk and live in this truth. Not with our eyes focused on ourselves, but looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's where your power is found. That's where your strength is found. That's where your courage is found. Walk in it, church family. And let's go ahead and make it on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. If you wouldn't mind, friends, online, in the room, bow your head for just a moment. The name Manasseh actually means God has made me forget. That's what Manasseh means. And I am praying that the meaning of that name would flood every heart and mind. And the forgetting is not I have no memory of. I think the, the forgetting is I'm no longer imprisoned to. May this be a moment where we forget we leave the prison. We run fully after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As your heads are bowed, if you have never given your heart and your life to Christ, never made him first, never made him number one. Put another way, you're on the driver's seat of your life. Jesus Christ is not. But you're saying you don't want to go your own way anymore. You want to go his way. You don't want to be first. You want Jesus to be first. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to do something simple. It's bold, but, but it's simple. And I want you to respond to the grace of God as he is knocking on your heart right now. And I want you to say, yes, Jesus, I give you my whole heart, my whole life. If that's you, you've never given your heart to Jesus or at one point in time you did and you slipped away. And today you're ready on the count of three. I just want you to throw your hand in the air. Ready? One, two, three. Just put your hand in the air. You're saying, yeah, that's me. I want to give my heart. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to make him first. Got friends all over in this room, in the balcony, on the floor. People online. I'm going to ask everyone to do me a favor. Put your hand over your heart if you would not mind. I'm going to ask everyone to repeat this prayer out loud after me. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I admit I made mistakes. And today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you in Jesus name amen and amen can we lift our heads up clap our hands come on church family we celebrate this amazing moment